Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you, and we are so glad that you are with us, and that together we can join our voices in song and prayer, and give glory to our God and our Creator for who He is and for what He has done for us. And so, thank you for being here. If we can assist you any further in your spiritual journey, we invite you to approach us. We'd be glad to study with you, talk to you about the Lord. The history of mankind begins with God. And it begins with God creating man. And how man was so blessed that he was able to walk with God and God walked with him. But then man cut himself off from God. He lost that harmonious relationship that he had in the Garden of Eden. Man broke, man marred the ideal relationship, the ideal fellowship that he had with his creator when he sinned. When he stepped outside of those bounds that God had set. And yet the Almighty desires, he longs, to walk with sons and daughters. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I mean, it's chapter 6, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul writes to the church there in his second epistle, he reminds them, he says, we, we are a temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. But God is light. And he is light that has no fellowship with darkness, that has no fellowship with sin. And so therefore, when we sin, we cut ourselves off from our God, from our creator, from the one who is life and light to us. And so therefore, in that same context, of 2 Corinthians, as you continue reading those verses, you get into the seventh chapter, and you have this exhortation, the very first verse, where he says, therefore, therefore having these promises, promises of where God's gonna walk with you and you're gonna walk with God, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of of God. The mess, the problems, the consequences that man, you and I, have brought upon ourselves cannot be removed, cannot be fixed, cannot be cleansed by ourselves alone. Man cannot remedy the problems that he has brought upon himself when he broke the relationship with his creator, when he marred that perfect fellowship. And so God stepped in. God came down. God walked among men again in order to establish a path, a path by which Men like you and I can walk toward God. And one day, one day, we can walk with him 
in eternity. God, throughout history, as we see in ancient days, God manifested himself, his choice of fellowship, in a number of different ways, in various ways, although he was separated from man's presence because of man's sin, God still revealed his choice. He revealed his longing, his desires. Now, God no longer walks with us. He no longer walks with man as he did once in the Garden of Eden. But throughout time, he has revealed himself to man as he executed his purpose and revealed his ultimate scheme that would center around Jesus Christ. For example, Jehovah, Jehovah God guided those descendants of Abraham out of the land of Egypt, out of their Egyptian captivity, and through that wilderness, we are told, by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire in Exodus chapter 13. And as that account tells us that story and reveals the presence of God among his people, it says, and the Lord was going before them. How was he going before them? He was doing it through this pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, but it was the Lord's doing. And then you continue reading in that Old Testament account, remaining in the book of Exodus, you see, then one day Jehovah came down on a mountain. He came down on Mount Sinai and he spoke with Moses. God chose Moses to be the one he was going to speak with to guide and direct his chosen nation, Israel. And so we see there in Exodus chapter 19 and following, we see that the presence of God on Mount Mount Sinai was a powerful demonstration of who God is and what God can do. And so the people below, though they were not allowed to touch you know, the foot of the mountain. See, don't even come near the mountain was the instruction. They heard and saw some things that were pretty terrifying. They saw fire and smoke and they saw, heard thunder and they saw lightning and they felt an earthquake. It is in then in chapter 33 as the account unfolds and gives us insight of what it would have been like for Moses. Now, Moses is on that mountain, that shaking, in the midst of the smoke and the fire and the thunder and the lightning because God's presence came down on the mountain. Moses is up there and it says in chapter 33, verse 11, that God, the Lord Jehovah, spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Pretty impressive, isn't it? And yet, you continue reading in chapter 33, we are told that Moses literally didn't see God's face. He literally did not see the face of God, but the presence of God there, and God spoke to Moses. And then you read throughout the Old Testament a number of different times that God would send his angels to earth time and time again. And what would those angels do? They would do God's bidding and they would reveal God's messages. You know, God was manifesting his choice 
his choice of fellowship in a number of different ways, as we see in the Old Testament. Even there in the days of King Solomon. Solomon, who is the one given credit for building the temple in Jerusalem. And so when Solomon had completed uh, the house of the Lord and was dedicating that house now to Jehovah, in 2 Chronicles 5, it talks about how the glory of the Lord filled that house with a cloud. Now, God does not literally live in physical temples and physical buildings, but he made himself known. His presence was made evident. And so all of these events and all of these different manifestations and more that you read about, particularly in the Old Testament, they're all part of God's plan, a plan that involves redemption and salvation for sinners and adoption of men as his children. But these things were not the end of the story. These things were not even the culmination of what God had predestined. No, God had something much bigger planned than even these amazing events. And so in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah chapter 7, Jehovah, Jehovah promised a sign to the house of David. The house of David was the ruling family. It, it was his lineage that was the kings of Judah. And so we see here, it was during the days of King Ahaz. Ahaz was not a good king. He was not a faithful king to Jehovah, to God. And yet God, through this prophet Isaiah assured, promised Ahaz, he's not a good king. You know, you know, he, he's, not a, he's not faithful to Jehovah. You know, he is an unbeliever. And so, but he promises, God assures Ahaz that he did not need to be afraid. He did not need to fear these threats, these looming threats that were in the land at that time because he had two kings who wanted to basically... Yeah, assassinate Ahaz and put someone else on the throne. Sounds like our world, doesn't it? And God promises Ahaz, you don't need to be afraid of those kings. And so God then tells us here in Isaiah chapter 7, in these first few verses, God says, okay, Ahaz, you don't need to be afraid, so ask me for a sign. God said, I'm telling you, I want you to ask a sign for me, a sign of confirmation that what I just told you is true. And Ahaz refused. Ahaz refused to ask for that sign because he, he has already made up his mind about Jehovah. And he says something that I will not test the Lord but that really was a hypocritical answer because God commanded him, you ask me a sign. He says, no, God, I'm not going to ask you that. And so God then turn, turns around as we're going to pick up our reading there in the 13th verse of the seventh chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah where now God says, okay, you don't ask, you know, you're not going to do what I told you to do. And so God says, so I'm going to give you or you're at the house of David, I'm going to give you a sign. In turn, that would be then to all the nation. And so picking up in the 13th verse, 
you know, Ahaz has just refused to do what God told him to do. And then God said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? How dare you, Ahaz? It's bad enough that you have tried the patience of men around you, but how dare you try my patience? Is this too slight of a thing? I have asked you to do something, and you are telling me to my face. I will not do that. And so verse 14, Therefore, the Lord himself, Jehovah himself, will give you a sign Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. So what we have here is you have the master of all forces and all powers announcing that there is going to be a special birth of a special child one day. That's my sign to you. That my word is true. My word is faithful. I keep my promises. As he talks about how there's going to be a young woman one day who, had, who has never been with a man physically that will give birth to a son. See, an ordinary birth of an ordinary child would not be a sign, would it? It has to be something extraordinary. And so the son's given name is going to be Emmanuel. That means God with us, indicating that this son that's going to be born one day, this son would be a divine being. The expected birth of the Messiah was beyond Jewish expectation. The Jews in Jesus' day, they, they weren't looking for this, even though they should have been. They should have been looking for this, but they didn't understand the magnitude of what God was going to do. He was going to send Emmanuel to earth. Bringing one who is both God and man into this world, broken and marred and corrupted by sin, demands a special means of entrance. For this to happen, it has to be God's doing, not man's doing. Isaiah actually spoke further about this entrance of this one. He spoke elsewhere in his work, as you continue reading here in Isaiah. For example, over in chapter, chapter 9, verse 6, he says, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government's going to rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. What's the point? This son to be born is going to be a divine being. That's who he's going to be. And yet, as you read a little further on in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, he would come from a physical lineage. 
In verse one, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So there's gonna be someone coming. God's gonna bring someone into this world and this one is gonna be both God and man. He's gonna be Emmanuel. And so when you turn to the inspired pages of the New Testament, you begin to read what the Holy Spirit guided Matthew or Luke to write. You've got the Gospels now identifying to us that Jesus of Nazareth is both the anointed one and the Son of God. This miraculous conception within a chaste virgin and then the birth of that promised son was God's doing. Only God is going to be able to do this. And, that, and that's, that's God's sign. This is my sign to you, Ahaz. This is my sign to you, house of David. This is my sign to you, Israel and Judah. One day, one day, God will be with us. And so the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, revealing what was soon to transpire there as recorded in Luke chapter 1. That the son that she is going to have within her and that she will deliver one day, this son is going to be called the son of the mighty God. And he's going to be given the throne of his father David and there will be no end to his kingdom. So this king's kingdom is not ever going to be broken. It is then later, as recorded by uh, Matthew in chapter 1, that the angel now appears to Joseph, who is, who is engaged to Mary. And it says you know, that when, when the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Joseph finds out that his fiance is pregnant. And he's a bit concerned. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, implying, what is he thinking? Planned to send her away secretly. He wanted to protect the woman he loved. But when he had considered this, so this is kind of, you know, he's, 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 this is running through his, his, his mind, his thoughts. He's toying with this. And so when he considered this, behold, an angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
So Joseph woke up, did as the angel commanded, and took Mary as his wife. God didn't lie, did he? God cannot lie, for he is light. He is just. He is love. And so the promised virgin that was the sign to all of Israel gave birth to the very one that God said would come one day. That God with us is going to be born into this world. God walked again with man. He once did in the Garden of Eden. But the violation that Eve and Adam committed brought the consequences of their action upon themselves. And they were cut off from the Creator, from their Heavenly Father. But then God says, one day, I'm going to walk with you again. And he did. Emmanuel walked among men. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it begins by telling us that the Word was in the beginning, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so this one described to as the Word He is with God and he was God. And then we see in the 14th verse that this word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And we saw his glory, and glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In the flesh, in the flesh, the Son of God was delivered from a a mother's womb. And the fullness and the embodiment of grace and truth was now visible on earth was witnessed by men. The fullness of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. For grace and truth were realized, were manifested through Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, was the living proof, the living proof What God with us is all about. He is the living proof of what God with us is all about. He came to reveal what? He came to reveal to mankind God. To reveal the Father to us. And in turn to reveal access for us, for all of mankind, so that we can be reconciled back with God the one that we cut ourselves off with from. God walked with man again in Jesus Christ. That's why in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, 
You look there over in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, that it says that all those who saw Jesus, what did they see? They saw the fullness of deity. The completeness of deity in bodily form. If you want, you want God in the flesh, well, you had it. He's Jesus Christ. He is the fullness of deity. He's the complete of deity, deity in bodily form. And so the apostles and many others during the ministry of Jesus Christ, what did they see? What did they witness? They witnessed God. They witnessed the heavenly father in Christ, in Emmanuel, through Jesus Christ. That's why, as we have already read in John chapter 14, in verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, you want to get to the Father, you got to do it through me. You You have to do it through the one who is God with us, Emmanuel. You don't do it through me, you don't get to the Father. And of course, our Philip, you know, answers, well, Lord, show us. Show us the Father. And Jesus comes back, have I been so long with you? Have I been with this all these years and you've not come to know me? Philip, don't you know who I am? I am Emmanuel. I am God with you. I am the fullness of deity in flesh. He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father, he says. Jesus was not simply a great miracle-working man. That's not what just he was. He was this, oh, what, what an amazing man he was. He was amazing. But he was God breathing, talking, walking with and among men. That's who he was. He was God with us. And through the life of Jesus, we begin to see what God intended from the beginning to be and what God desires for us to be in eternity. As Philippians 2 says, although he was equal with the Father, what did Jesus do? He emptied himself. He made that ultimate sacrifice to do what? To be made in man's likeness. Jesus, the potter, made himself clay so that we could see what it means to have God with us. Emmanuel partook of this flesh and blood, not simply for himself, but he did so for mankind, for humanity, so that those who are of like flesh and blood could be freed freed from the power of the devil and of death. In Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and following, that last paragraph in that chapter, it is so beautiful. And at a time when our hearts are hurting, we find hope. Where the Spirit speaks 
here through the Hebrew writer and says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, Hebrews 2, 14, since children, that's us, share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Not a different flesh and blood. The same flesh and blood. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For surely he does not give help to angels. He doesn't give help to angels. But he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. And as Paul writes in Galatians 3, all those who are in Christ Jesus are heirs of the promise. We are descendants of Abraham through Christ. He gives us help. In verse 17, he goes on to say, therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. He had to come. God had to come. He had to walk among us again. As Emmanuel, the son, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Not for his, but for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he was, has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Sin brought death into our world. God is not to be blamed, though. It's man. It's us. Man is to be blamed, for we are the sinners. But now God provides help. But now God gives aid to us. In the flesh, Emmanuel was tempted In like flesh and blood, he was tempted and he suffered and he was made to be the propitiation. He was made to be the atonement that we could not do for ourselves. There's nothing that we could bring and sacrifice. Even our own body was not sufficient enough to atone for the sins we have committed and to give us the help that we need. It is for that reason now we find mercy. We find grace. Mercy and grace in our times of need, in times of greatest need. Why is that? Because Emmanuel, Emmanuel walked among men. God with us walked among men one day. And then he became our high priest, our mediator, our savior. In Hebrews chapter four, as we bring our lesson to a close, let us read those closing verses of that chapter. As we speak here of the superiority, the preeminence of Jesus Christ above everything and everyone, and how God with us, and you know, what, what does that mean and what has that accomplished? He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, he emptied himself and he came down. He stepped in to run interference for us. 
He stepped in this mess that we made so that he could become what we could not do for ourselves. And now he has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. Let us draw near with confidence. Confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever that need may be, Emmanuel, Emmanuel is the answer. Whatever it is, Emmanuel will give you what you need. In conclusion, I want to go back to some words Jesus spoke to his apostles on that dark night when he was betrayed. Before going to another garden, a garden of suffering, he met with the apostles in that upper room and observed the Passover meal and shared with them a number of great truths. And he spoke of their faith and encouraged them, if you believe God, believe me also. And he, said, and he spoke of his departure. But he went on to say, I will come again. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Emmanuel was on earth. Why? So that you and I can be with him in heaven. That's why. He walked among us, he lived as us, and he suffered and died in a way that most of us will never have to. But he did that so we can be with him. Paul, in his encouragement to the brethren in the city of Thessalonica, speaks of the return of the Lord one day. And this return is not to walk among men again. He's done that already. But when he comes, we will hear his voice. We will hear his voice and be raised up unto life so that we will meet him in the air and so that we shall always be with the Lord. God walked with man once and God did it a second time so that we can be with him forever so that we can walk with him on the shores of eternity in the glories of heaven are you an heir of Abraham's promise have you put on Christ have you clothed yourself with Christ through faith, by being baptized into Christ, so that you may be raised up to walk in newness of life?
If not, we want to encourage you to do that. It is Jesus Christ Himself in the Great Commission is sending out the apostles and the disciples to proclaim this message of salvation to all men, wherever they be. It says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. If you have not put on Christ by confessing your faith in Jesus as God's Son, and repenting of the sins in your life and baptized into Him so that He could raise you up a new, a new creature cleansed by the power of the blood. We want to help you do that today. Only Emmanuel can do that. Only Emmanuel can fulfill that promise. It's His grace. But it's your decision of faith. What will you do with Jesus? Will you submit Will you be like him and say, not, your, not my will, Father, but yours will be done. If we can help you today to put Christ on in your life, by an obedience to Christ, obedience to his, his gospel by faith, we invite you, encourage you, please come forward. Make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>